0: to the panel on RNZ National. Great to be with you this afternoon. Loving your company today. Now the controversial British activist Kelly J. Keen Minchiel is also known as Posey Parker, is to be allowed into the country. Immigration New Zealand says after reviewing all publicly known information about Ms. Keen Minchiel and seeking advice from other agencies, we have concluded there is no reason to believe that she is or is likely to be a threat or risk to the public order. ...or public interest. Posey Parker describes herself as a women's rights activist... ...and has widely criticised policies that support the transgender community... ...and has been labelled as an anti-trans activist. Needless to say, a lot of response coming through. Uh, should we have let Posy Parker in or not? Text me 2101. Michael Bott is a barrister... Who focuses on civil liberties? Michael Kiora, good to have you here. Uh, Kiora Wallace. Suppose he Parker did not meet the high threshold to be considered an excluded person under Section 16 of the Immigration Act 2009. Uh, would this have been a tough decision?
1: Uh, probably not, because. To make that decision, if you're the Minister, you've got to believe that a person is likely to commit an offence that's punishable by imprisonment in New Zealand, or is likely to basically pose a threat or risk of security, public order, or a threat or risk to the public interest. And in this case here, the um, uh, right-wing mods, I suppose, drawn to the flame in Australia, Uh, were basically consequential. They weren't a result of what Ms. Parker was saying, per se, and you can't draw that link. It would be basically casting too wide a net in in that situation.
0: So what would have been some of the considerations? I mean, you're saying they would have taken into account the events in Melbourne where her speaking event, you know, did draw a crowd, including some giving... Nazi salutes.
1: That's right, but Ms Parker herself didn't encourage that, apparently, nor does she endorse that particular point of view. But the other thing to, to weigh up in, in the consideration of these things is the Bill of Rights in terms of freedom of expression and free speech. And uh, free speech, if it's to mean anything, mustn't just include the inoffensive, but also the irritating, the eccentric, the heretical, the unwelcome and the provocative, provided it doesn't lead to violence in and of itself. And that's an important thing, because if if free speech means only the right to have inoffensive speech, then we haven't got much in the way of free speech at all. But that highlights another contradiction with some far-right people. Uh, for example, uh, Ron DeSantis, a, a little-known um, potentially presidential aspirant in the United States, talks about the stifling effect of liberalism or wokeism, as he calls it. And, and, yet, there, and yet what you see with that man is essentially a stifling of free speech with book burnings and the clearing out of libraries and the banning of literature, the banning of teaching and the banning, arguably, of free speech. So that's an inherent contradiction in that point.
0: OK. Yeah. yeah, Kia ora, Michael. Let's go around the panel on this. Ali uh, Moore, have you been following this? Let's bring you in.
2: Uh, yes, I have. And I, I understand the high bar uh, that immigration has to meet in these cases, although I would argue that um, Posey Parker's ideas and the concepts that she spreads do have real world harm. Uh, we know that queer and trans uh, youth are um, at some of the highest mental health risks in our society. Uh, and I think that it's, um, it is harmful for youth and for trans people and for queer people uh, to, to, to have these concepts amplified in community, However, we can't keep her out, and the reason we can't keep her out is free speech, and I think that, I don't know whether you heard about what happened in Hobart yesterday, I think it yeah. was. Um, it's a perfect example. She was drowned out completely, uh, as were her other speakers, um, by hundreds of protesters, um, and some have claimed online that that's somehow deplatforming her. But you can't have it both ways. If she wanted to have those views potentially unchallenged in a quiet space, uh, she could have booked venues, private venues, and of course, then run the risk of um, the venues refusing to take the bookings. But no, she has deliberately uh, staged her her talks, her speeches in public places. Uh, and therefore, you know, you can't have it both ways. She has to um, run the gauntlet, if you like, of, of protesters, and I suspect there will be large groups of protesters in uh, Auckland and Wellington as well.
0: Now, stay there, Michael. Let's bring Simon Pound in.
3: You know, I absolutely um, I agree that, you know, that the terrible thing at the base of this is people who um, have been caught up as kind of, um, you, you know, football and some kind of culture war, the... the People in the transgender community who have become this kind of politicised weapon, but it's absolutely great that you know there is this free speech because it has had the outcome of she goes to Australia, she has this um, you know free speech act, and it aligns her with neo Nazis and other awful people. So often these people who have this unusual and weird interest in other people's private lives that is completely unnecessary. You take edge cases and blow them up to create fear and hysteria and try to appeal all natural and normal and just asking questions. But then to have the the neo-Nazis come out and go, oh, no, we're completely on board with you, is a perfect example of how free speech can mean that the rest of the people can look in and go, Or maybe this isn't as reasonable as they try and make it all out to be.
0: Michael, in 2014, immigration authorities uh, barred or banned the rap group Odd Future, including Tyler, the creator, from entering the country, saying that, you know, the group has uh, been deemed to be a potential threat to the public order. You know, misogynistic misogynistic lyrics. Uh, He was uh, attacking the police. So they were banned. Posey Parker gets in. What's the difference?
1: Well, I suppose it's a different administration, different exercise of ministerial discretion, but, but also, I suppose, it's taking the temperature at the time. And if, you're talk, if you have a RAC group promoting, and I know nothing about the 2014 case, but, for example, say they're promoting domestic violence or those sorts of things, we've got a campaign to try and reduce in our country the incidence of domestic violence and violence against police then to have that sort of encouragement um, runs in the face of what we're trying to do as a society. And the thing, as I said before, is that free speech, I suppose as Chesterton said, the right to swing your arm stops at the point of someone else's nose. And so if you're going to encourage violence, uh, as a result of your message, then arguably what you're doing is corrosive and then Section 16.1 of the Immigration Act is triggered and the Minister can exercise discretion in terms of the risk right. to, public, to security or public order or the public interest. Uh, but again, the interesting thing here, uh, and your panellists raise this, is the sort of people that are attracted. For example, in the States, there's a right-wing nationalist group, a uh, Christian nationalist group called Focus on the Family, which is anti-abortion, believe women should stay at home. Uh, they're attracted to the anti-trans message of Posy Parker. Uh, and uh, you can tell a lot about people by the company they keep, potentially.
0: Thank you, Michael. Good to have you here. That's Michael Bott, uh, a barrister who focuses on civil liberties, looking at this issue of the uh, British activist Kelly J. Keane Minshill, known as po- Posey Parker, who is to be allowed into the country. It is 17 past four. You are on the panel on RNZ National. Ali Moore and Simon Pound with me uh, this afternoon. Well, the National Party says it will rewrite the New Zealand curriculum if elected. Teaching the basics brilliantly. Policy will be announced tomorrow. You'll hear more about this quite a bit, I expect. Chris Luxon said the education system is failing students, and his policy would focus on teaching maths, science, Reading and writing, the government is implementing its literacy and communication and maths strategy which aims to bring a greater focus on literacy and numeracy. A 2020 UNICEF report found over a third of our 15-year-olds did not have basic proficiency in literacy and maths, just one of various reports showing New Zealanders falling behind in core subjects. What needs to happen in our education system with us is Dr Nina Hood from the Education Hub, also a senior lecturer at the University of Auckland and a former teacher, Dr Hood. Kia ora.
4: Kia ora Wallace. Thanks for having me.
0: It's a pleasure, uh, Nina. Is our education system serving New Zealand as well?
4: No, I think there are some deeply worrying things happening in our education system at the moment. And that's not to say that there aren't Schools that are doing fantastic work. That's not to say that there aren't some students who are coming through our education system and getting a really high-quality education. But what we know is that at the moment, our education system is failing far too many of our young people, and it's not equipping them with the broad range of knowledge, skills and competencies that they're going to need in order to thrive in the future.
0: Is Aotearoa an outlier when it comes to education? Are we doing worse than other countries?
4: Well, international comparisons are always a bit of a tricky business. Um, And I think we can sometimes dwell too much on looking and trying to compare ourselves to others. I think, why don't we actually just look at what's happening here? And what we do know is that over the last decade, there has been a decline in the achievement of young people in New Zealand across some of those core academic subjects. So you're reading, writing, maths and science.
0: All right. Ali Moore
2: yeah uh I, I guess I'd have to reserve judgment until I see that the entire policy um, i I think that anything that eases the burden on teachers is a good thing um, and I'm pleased to see that national doesn't appear at this stage to uh, to want to roll back the tatidity and Matarangi maori um history work that is new um I think rote learning without context is really problematic uh, right. and you know and I also uh, note that um, there are teachers who've said that uh, that standards started dropping under national when national standards were were being brought in so I think there's reason for caution here Nina
4: Yeah, I I think there's a lot to agree with in that. I mean, until we see more details about the policy, it's really hard to make a call on, you know, what might be good about it, where there might be challenges. I... I do believe that there are some benefits in thinking about what are what's the core knowledge that we want all our young people to have as they go through the education system. And as it stands at the moment, as a country, we don't actually have that, although arguably there is work going on at the moment with the refresh of the current curriculum that would take a step in that direction. Um, I totally agree that we don't want to go back to rote learning, um, but... We don't know that the curriculum, the sort of way that Nationals thinking about changing the curriculum would lead to that. I mean, the rote right learning is a pedagogical aspect rather than a curriculum aspect. But I think one of the things that I would really firmly stress is that whilst we absolutely want to be equipping our young people with this core knowledge um, and these basic skills, we also want to make sure that we're not narrowing the curriculum and that we're not just reducing right. what happens in school to your reading, writing, and math. It needs oh, okay. to be far yes.
3: more than that. Yeah, no, absolutely fair enough Then, Nina. Simon Pound. Well, well I think we're a, an example of one of your main points um, in, in the work that you've done on this, Dr Hood, and that... Our experience in the school system has been exceptional and so right from the beginning our kids have been learning you know everything they need to in terms of literacy and numeracy but also been exposed to Really interesting teaching styles where they've been, you know, working collaboratively and making videos and working in multimedia and doing all right. of these kind of, you know, modes of investigation and thinking that are so interesting and really, um, re- re- really inspiring to them. But the fact that this is unevenly applied across schools, which we haven't experienced, yeah. but if other people are experiencing, um, lacks and holes. That's that's a real problem, and maybe there is a, a role for a mix of making sure there is some, not necessarily rote learning, but some standardisation of okay. what's delivered in the curriculum. So,
0: so in that in that uh, doctorhood, um, because that seems to be a fairly common thread, that there is room, of course, for localization of knowledge and that type of thing, but that standardisation. You are calling for a national literacy strategy. Am I right?
4: I I had previously suggested that having a strategy about how we're going to improve literacy levels in this country would be a useful thing to have. I mean, there is work underway at the moment that is attempting to do just that.
0: Now, um, this is a long-going issue. I mean, I see that universities, I mean, they've become concerned enough about the inability of undergrad students to write an essay or understand basic questions that they called for independent numeracy and literacy standards. So clearly, this is also seeping through into higher education, um, and that has worried some uh, in the community.
4: Um,
0: Can I ask you, have you seen that yourself?
4: Uh, Yes, unfortunately, I have. yeah, I mean, and it's not to say that it's across the board. Of course, there are some fantastic students um, who are more than able to engage in university level um, yeah. education. But yes, there are also a considerable group who struggle with the level of um, learning, the level of writing, the level of critical engagement that's required at university. <laughs>
0: Good to have you on, Nina Kiora. Thank you very much for your time. That's uh, Dr. Nina Hood from the Education Hub. I want to know around the panel, can you recall how you learned to read and write? Because there's this new thing called phonics or structured... I
2: think
0: it's very new. Well, no, that's... (laughs) <laughs> no no let me hear me out because i'm uh, what am I trying to say it's a new thing at this stage where a lot of schools, including the school I go to they're, they're bringing it in, and my little junior is coming home going that type of thing tap um but when I bring it up, um a lot of uh more senior listeners going, hang on. We learned phonics, as you're saying, Ali Moore. So it's kind of back to the future. Can you recall, Ali, how you learned to read? No.
2: It's <laughs> such a long time ago. Yeah. Uh, I was reading very early. Uh, I've always been, I mean, journalism or writing in some form was always going to be my path that right. it was really interested in. So. Um, no, I can't remember. I do remember in high school, and I, I I'm concerned and wonder whether there's such a um whether there's much of an emphasis on it anymore. I do remember in high school English, uh, a real emphasis on comprehension. Uh, so it wasn't just oh. getting th- getting through the text and being able to uh, regurgitate it in an in an exam. Uh, or an essay, you really comprehension you understand what you were reading, and you know. I, I remember in um, in English in year eleven, which is a bit different in Australia to what it is here, uh, but second to final year of school, um, going deep on Shakespeare to kind of seven levels of comprehension down. Amazing. Uh, so, no, no. and I and I don't know whether it's emphasised anymore.
0: Uh, comprehension, yes Yes, now I recognise that Now, uh, by the way, a big response to Posey Parker. We'll come back to that We'll um, b- collate them all and put them in our mailbag for later But I've got to get to this We had a run of Fiji recipes today, Thanks to Joe McCarroll bringing in Fijos Didn't know what to do with them And if you didn't know Fijios are a New Zealand phenomenon Everybody in Aotearoa has tasted a Fiji. Except for one person. And that person is my wonderful colleague, uh, office manager Pratik, who said yesterday, you know what, Wallace, I've never eaten a Fijoa, so he's going to eat one on air today. Kia ora, Pratik. Kia ora, Wallace. Thanks for having me back. Now, okay, so what have you got? You've got your knife,
3: your spoon, your Fijoa.
5: That's right. Uh, but since I've never had one before, I don't know if this is ripe. How do you tell? You
3: just eat the whole skin, is what you do.
5: Oh, cool. Easy. You, you <laughs> like
3: eat an it, apple. Just eat it the way you want no, to no, eat no. it. You
2: just just, just, yeah. just stop, I beg you, stop. Yeah, yeah.
0: All right, Good okay. old pounder, right? Okay, here we go. All right, so Pratik is now do, doing it the right, You're just cutting it the right way,
5: cutting it through, so you've seen that. All right, here we go. Yes, I read a blog post about yeah. feijos before coming in okay. for prep. All right. Um, cool, it looks um, like a cucumber, uh, kind of. And, mmm, okay.
0: Here we go. For the first time in his life, Pratik eats a Fijoa.
5: Am I supposed to eat, like, all of it? Just oh, no, get, into, just, it. Just no, get it into it. No, we're all oh, yeah. with bait breath. Put that in your mouth. Mmm. Wow. <laughs> That's actually really good. Because, <laughs> explain. Everyone... <laughs> it's almost like a guava, like the texture. Mm, mm. And, um,. But it's like more citrusy and everyone says it'll taste like a pineapple, but I don't get any pineapple from Did this. Did it
0: taste how you thought it would taste?
5: No, I, I thought it would taste like a vegetable because that's what it looks like to me. It looks like a courgette and a cucumber had a baby. <laughs> um, out of 10, what would you give it? A nine, yeah. I mean, it's really good. Because I've heard like fifty-fifty, either people hate it or <laughs> yeah. love it. You got a lot. It's the socialist fruit.
3: It's the fruit everyone a, a nine, shares. It's a okay, great fruit.
0: A nine out of ten. Ellie Moore, are you hearing this? Did you? I mean, you're from Australia. Did you have fijos in Australia?
2: No, and I hate them. I hate
0: <laughs> yeah. them. Why? They're they're pretty yeah. good. Okay, no, 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 just to just to confirm oh. that you got a second half there eat that one all right okay here we go so <laughs> alive on air pratik is eating his first ever fujo how old are you pratik i'm 25 <laughs> okay you're 25 never had a Fujoa. that's have right a, have a go mm.
5: Mm. <laughs> really good. yeah it's i've had the homegrown fujo juice and that tastes really bad compared to this okay where have you been why haven't you had a fujo well, I only moved to New Zealand about two years and two months ago. From? From India. And um, there are no fijoas there. I mean, there's something that looks like that. Yeah, what's the taste? equivalent? I, I mean, a, a guava. That would be the... Okay. All right. yeah.
0: So, Ellie Moore uh, just can't stand Fijoas because, you know, from Australia. Uh, Simon, what about you?
3: We've planted a whole row of them at the front of our place. Love them.
0: Yeah, I'm in love with them. Mm. Absolutely I'm love. Thank you for being a good sport protector. So there we go. Uh, a, a Fijoa gets a 9 out of 10 from first-time Fijoa taster. You going to have another one? Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm
5: taking this other one home.
0: <laughs>
3: good on you. Very good. First hit's free. Yeah. All right.
0: Uh, you're on the panel on RNZ National